into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? All right, so we've been off for a few weeks. Maybe, you know, a little... We had a little bit of uh, equipment, you know, malfunctions and... Uh, scheduling mishaps and you know just life life in general has been getting in the way richard <laughs> it's a get in the way yeah that's very that's very true uh so I, I you know it's funny that you bring that up you bring up the, the you know the line from from jurassic park spoken by jeff goldblum uh you know i think it's he's got a part in the Jurassic Park video game, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, like Ian Malcolm, the Doctor Ian Malcolm. Have you seen that? Yeah, apparently, like, I mean, we've seen the trailer where he's giving some kind of like statement at a court for the Fallen Kingdom movie that's going to come out later this year, but he was obviously very much absent from Jurassic World. I think everybody was under the assumption that he couldn't do it because he was making Independence Day resurgence at the time. So uh, now that it looks like the Independence Day franchise isn't going to be going anywhere and Jurassic World made all the monies, you know, they're going to go on with that. He jumped back on over to this one. He's coming back. But I guess what I wanted to get at was... uh, the MCU. So I tweeted out the other day that I root, I would really love for either in Avengers infinity war, which comes out in just about a month, uh, or Mm -hmm. Avengers four, you know, later down the line, uh, I, I believe one year later, um, to have some kind of like surprise. I would really love to have a surprise Something that I wasn't expecting, a character to show up that I, I wasn't looking forward. I, yeah, I wasn't looking forward, and I didn't know it was going to be there. An actor that they were they were actually able to keep under wraps, and no, uh, you know, footage was sh- or you know behind the scenes photos leaked out or anything like that. And do you think that that's possible in this day and age? Like at the end of Iron Man, the first Iron Man, two thousand eight. You know, after the credits, no one knew to stay after the credits. Uh, for anything like that, but uh, Nicholas Cage or not Nicholas Cage? I'm sorry, fuck. Uh, <laughs> Samuel Jackson like, shows up as Nick Fury and says, uh, "You think you're the only person with superpowers, or you're the only superhero out there? Uh, I'd like to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative." And it just fucking blew my. Mind. I mean, I had to go. I had to go see the movie again because I didn't know it was there. So right. I had to go watch the movie again, but. To see that part, which was fine because I love the movie. I love Iron Man. But which was fine because I got to see that that whole movie again. And then that part shows up and it just blew my mind. And now from from then on, it's always like, oh, what, you know, what what's the secret egg? What's the, or I guess Easter egg. What's the secret? What are they keeping? What, what, what can I look forward to? Is it possible for them to keep that stuff under wraps? I mean, I think it's completely possible. I mean, you look at um, 
Split, which uh, came out, you know, um, and it was a surprise sequel to Unbreakable. So I definitely think it's doable. But I feel like that's also maybe a sign of fatigue on your part that you can't just be excited for Infinity War by itself, that you're like, ah, I want to see something surprising. It's like, you shouldn't have to feel that way. Like, you should just be excited that Infinity War is coming out. But uh, but I am. I am excited for Infinity War. I, I, I think I'm going to love that movie. I'm just saying that it would be nice to have that extra thing, especially with, and I know it's not going to happen in this movie or even Avengers 4, that mm-hmm. we get uh, any of the Fox characters to come over because that deal is still not even like done. Like they, you know, right. it's, it's all still the. I don't even think the ink is on the paper yet, let alone being dry. So it's it's something that I just would love to see because I love comic books so much. Is that I just want to see a character show up that I wasn't expecting. I I still think that Infinity War is going to be great, and I'm probably still going to love it, but. It's just, I don't know, it's just a, a little... But that's extra. what I mean, like, why, but why do you feel like there has to be a surprise? No, I don't feel like there has to be a surprise. I'm just saying that I want one. Just because that's something, I mean, think about how I felt at the end of a split when, uh, you know, uh, fuck, David Dunn or Bruce Willis's character shows up. Like, that just fucking it, it was the extra icing on top of the cake that movie was already phenomenal in my book it just was the was a bonus hmm i don't know to me it sounds like you're uh you're not really happy with what they're offering it sounds like you want more no i think as if that's... having every superhero <laughs> pretty much in existence in one movie at the same time isn't enough <laughs> we, we've got to have hidden superheroes in uh in the same movie i you know i i think it's totally doable i, I don't know i read something earlier today that i guess um peter dinklage is going to be in it I knew and that he was going to be in it, so, like, way back when. I knew I knew about that casting. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I I feel like it's it's possible to keep things under wraps, but it's certainly much, it's much more challenging nowadays than what it's ever been in the past. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say the same. And especially as big as the MCU has gotten, like, you know, I mean, just look at Black Panther. You know, it's I think it's at one point one five billion dollars now. Well, as of the time we were recording this, we still have a weekend to go. So, yeah, it is definitely, definitely up there. Um, I, I just, it, it, I don't know. It's just, I, I, it's just something extra that I, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing. But I'm all right. A- so in your in your perfect fantasy world here (laughs) who would you want like what would it take to blow your mind like who would need to show up as a surprise in order for you to just like fanboy out so i mean in the perfect world and that's including like characters that i know that they don't have the rights to yet or only the ones that they have the rights to no i mean i think it needs to be something that's plausible Plausible, i think it needs to be something that could actually happen you know this go round uh i would say that the that the big one for me would be if at this point namer if the submariner showed up and uh you know he was he he maybe maybe he shows up at the end of the movie 
after they've already like uh, lost to Thanos, and you know people have died. Like he shows up and he's like, "Hey, I'm here to help" or some shit. You know, I don't know. Or maybe he comes in and says, "I'm gonna you know pick up the pieces and rule rule the 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 land as well as I rule the sea because you guys obviously can't do it." Hmm. Interesting. Who do you think <laughs> is gonna die? Who do I think is gonna die? I think. Yeah. I. Uh, I don't know. Like, I every time we play this game, I always come out wrong. Like, I, I to me, I think of I, I. I guess I get into my head like contracts and like story and elements and stuff like that, but I don't think about how the general audience is going to react well enough that I think the studios think about that. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I think, I think Tony dies. I think pepper dies. Um, I don't, I think, I think the, 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 the thing that a lot of people were foreseen is that cap is going to sacrifice himself, but I don't think that, I don't think that that's going to happen for some reason. Hmm. Uh, I don't. After that, though, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know who exactly else would could possibly die. What What do you think? Do you have any guesses? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I mean, my approach to it is, I think, very similar to your own, right? Like, I start thinking of who's been in the MCU this long, who's got contracts that are in a situation of probably refreshing. And the other side of the coin, which, I mean, granted, this wouldn't have necessarily been known when they were pinning the scripts and stuff like that for Infinity War. But the other thing that I look at is the success of Black Panther. Because when you look at Black Panther, it's a movie that typically does not have any super, super well-known actors. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have the Robert Downey Jr. or whatever... And it's grossed a ton of money. So I think that's going to have some potential shockwaves for Disney and Marvel executives to look at the situation and be like, wait a minute, we don't necessarily have to have these huge list celebrities. And I think that might actually mean that they might want to get rid of Robert Downey Jr. at some point because he's got to be one of those people that are involved in the franchises at this point that are, um, you know, taking up significant amounts of of money because of his contract. And so to me, you know, that, that, again, maybe isn't an indication, but I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, this would be potentially a good time to maybe not kill him off, but, like, maybe he gets completely annihilated. Like, maybe he gets his arm ripped off or he gets wounded enough that, like, he's just at a point where he can become kind of a protege or mentor type character going forward so that they don't have to pay as much money to have him have as much screen time as what he's getting and, and they can kind of pass the, the torch on to somebody else. And I think, you know, to a certain degree that kind of does open up the gates for, for Chris Evans too, because He's obviously gotten significantly older from when he started doing this. I mean, he's been involved in these movies for uh, for so long. I'm sure his pay has gone exponentially up. So I think he's another one that we could see potentially be taken out of the franchise. Um, 
you know, I do think a lot of the the minor characters like Pepper Potts and stuff like that are probably going to get taken out as well. I think that's, you know, would make the most amount of sense without start knocking off like your major, major talent. Um, obviously, it seems like Jeremy Renner is going to end up becoming more of a, a villain, at least for a little while. Like he's going to kind of end up becoming more of a Ronin, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it really is anyone's game at this point. But I do think I really do think Black Panther is going to have an impact on the MCU um, in ways that a lot of people didn't think was going to happen going forward. And I think one of the biggest things behind that is, is you have shown that you can have a very successful, very profitable film without having very or extremely well-known uh, actors attached to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I definitely think that the Black Panther is a game-changer for the MCU. I think I would say that probably before Black Panther, I would assume that they thought they were going to go with um, like Doctor Strange and Benedict Cumberbatch, like, going into phase four as being the leader of their group of the, of the, the new team. But yeah, now mm-hmm. if you don't correct that and make it T'Challa as the leader, they are definitely messing up. Well, I think he obviously needs to become a, a, a larger part. I think there was some expectations about, uh, you know, Dr. Strange. And I think there's some with, Spider-Man 2, which gets into a weird gray area because of the rights and stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see what's go- uh, what is what is going to happen and where they're going to go with it and, you know, what they do after Infinity Wars concludes. You know, what's... I don't know. I think that's going to be what's even more interesting than Infinity Wars, to be honest, is to see what they try to do after infinity war no i think you're you're absolutely right the it it, and i think kevin feige has kind of kind of stated that it's going to be a completely different uh you know mcu after infinity war at least or even or even more to the point after avengers 4 and uh that's definitely what we have to speculate of who it is that would be if they have an Avengers? Who's who's going to be the the new leader? Who's going to be, um, the ones on the actual team? It, I mean, does it does if Cap dies? Does the shield go straight to Falcon and he becomes a new Captain America? Or does it go to Bucky first, like it did in the Cap in the comic books? Uh, I mean, does Bucky stick around? Is you know these are all things that are interesting. I, I mean, to say the least. I also no, absolutely, and I, I do. I, th- I do think it's a lot like you say, though. I think there is, there is some outside business elements that are going to impact that, and to who is gonna want to stay around. Because that's the other thing, right? Like we get caught up in this whole thing of being like, oh, well, they're making tons of money. Who wouldn't want to stay around? And it's like, yeah, but. You don't you don't understand the physical toll that that being in peak physical fitness, you know, takes on you physically and mentally 
And I do, I do feel that you know, there's a lot of these actors that have been doing the, the these movies for ten years now that are like, you know, I'm at a point where I just I don't want to have to keep you know putting myself through this much physical stress to stay in this type of shape. So I think that's part of it. And I think, you know, there's probably some actors that are going to be involved in this that are also like, you know, I want to explore other characters. I want to explore, you know, being able to do other movies without having to be so connected to these movies. And so I do think there's going to be a huge shift in who is attached to these movies going forward. And I feel like I'd like it to go to Bucky personally, but I feel like he's been in this game as long or almost as long as Chris Evans has. And I feel like he might even be to a point where he's like, you know, I'm just ready to do other movies. I mean, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. He was in the first Avenger. So, I mean, Bucky was there in the first movie. So he's been, done just as many movies, I would assume, as as Chris Evans does. And, and yeah, he's just coming off of Itania where – you know, uh, it was Oscar nominated, maybe not his performance in general, but you know, he is in other, he's in other movies that might be, or will definitely be stretching him as an actor. So I, I get what you're saying. I just think that, uh, it, it, I, well, I understand what you're also saying about the whole physical peakness because I was listening to another podcast where the, one of the podcasters was, good friends with the personal chef that Hugh Jackman uses whenever he's Mm -hmm. getting into Wolverine shape and part of the guy's duties other than to also monitor whatever it is that Hugh Jackman eats and, you know, prepare it for him and stuff like that is that when Hugh Jackman is sleeping, he has to wake him up every three hours just to eat so that he can get in enough calories throughout the day. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine that having, you know, I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm not going to say that I get the correct amount of sleep that I get. You know, I'm supposed to get every night, anyways. But like, someone waking me up every three hours just to be like, "Hey, I need you to eat this, put it down your throat." Like that would suck. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, you got to think ten years of that. You know what I mean? Tw- ten years of having to be constantly woken up and constantly putting yourself through all of this very strict diet and nutrition, very strict physical uh, activities, and then, you know, going from that straight into working on set and doing these long 12 to 14-hour days where even during those 12 to 14-hour days, you're being woken up and what little time you have to sleep to cram more protein and calories into your body. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I could see that getting kind of old at some point and being like okay you know i really want to go and and explore other films and other options and and potentially not have to be as strict on on my diet and exercise and you know be kind of a little bit more human and less superhuman and i yeah i think that i i I mean, I I also think that that's kind of what they got into the business for. I mean, I understand being an actor, you, you some of them, you know, I would say probably a majority of actors get in it for the art. They want to be there because they want to be there. They want to do these things. But, I mean, Chris Evans, pr- probably not making as much as Robert Downey Jr., but still making quite a bit of money and, 
you know, he has the fame. Not that, that that's what he's looking for, or that's why he went into it, is for the money and the fame. But you, if you are deciding to be an actor, you have to know that if you do strike it big, those are the things that are going to come with it, right? I I don't think so. Because I think I think when Chris Evans and a lot of these people were getting into acting... Uh, the whole superhero movie thing was nowhere near the level that it is now. And I, I bet you more than anything, if you asked Hugh Jackman when he was getting into uh, acting, if he ever thought there would be a time where, you know, he was going to be bench pressing 315, 325 pounds and having someone wake him up every two hours to eat and dehydrating himself to the point of passing out on set so that his abs would show through you know i i doubt he would have been like yeah that's that's what i'm think i'm going to do for 15 years he might have thought yeah maybe i have to do it here or there for a movie and obviously i do have to stay in in some degree of shape because people like watching movies with good looking people in them so obviously you do have to maintain yourself to to some degree but i think when we've moved to this huge explosion of superhero films and how um how big they've gotten and how unbelievable you know of a requirement it is to put on these people from a physical level i don't know that a lot of actors are like yeah i got in this to do the same role for 10 to 20 years at the highest physical level possible do you know what i mean no, uh, yeah, I, I do get, I know, I do know what you mean. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I just, I just think that, I mean, obviously, and I, I know just about any, any one of the actors that is probably being that that we're we're insinuating or we're talking about would probably say, you know, that it's 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 still a better job than you know what most people have, or you know, oh, sure. there's nothing to complain at, but. And I and I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, you're putting your body in, and I, sometimes I even feel bad for actors because they can't say that they are having a hard time. Because as soon as they do, just about you know eighty percent of anybody everywhere is going to start jumping down their throats, being like, "Well, you're an actor. It's not like you're out digging ditches or anything, right?" But I do think I do feel bad for actors sometimes because all that shit has to take a toll on them. That it you know uh, mentally yeah, but and physically. Even if you- even if you dig ditches, um, I don't think you're working necessarily physically as hard as they are. I mean, you're talking about the requirements for a superhero now. Like you said, if you dig ditches, you're not getting woken up in the middle of your night to eat food. You're not going to the gym for like 10, 12 hours a day. You know, you're not talking about months and months of, of extreme uh, physical combat training and choreography. I mean, like... It like I get it. Yes, it's a glamorous job, but it's not easy either. It comes with its own set of of very difficult things, um, you know. So, you're, but you're right. You're right. We we do have a tendency to look at it and be like, oh, well, you're just making fun and playing pretend, and it's like, yeah. They are, but they also are probably waking up at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and starting their day. And 99% of everyone else that works a job is not doing that. You know what I mean? Like, there is a reason they are performing at the level that they are performing, and that's because 
they're in a higher percentage of of you know type A personality if you want to call it that or the personality of like getting shit done that most people are not you know what i mean and and i don't it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or a performer or you know uh, a ceo like if you're at that level i mean like i've been watching a lot of documentaries on like um you know uh chefs who are are trying to start their own restaurants and not just restaurants but like super ultra high-end restaurants you know they're gunning for like you know michelin stars and stuff like that and it is not glamorous you know what i mean like they're working 16 hour days they're every documentary they're like you know you can't have a family you can't have a social life you can't do those things when you are performing or operating or trying to operate on this level and I would be very willing to bet you to a certain degree that is actors that are op- uh, that are operating at that level too. You know what I mean? Like you're sitting there going, okay, well, yeah, they're making millions of dollars. Sure. But how much of their life are they giving up and dedicating to make that a reality? And it's more than what most people are. I would be very willing to bet. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and yeah, and that's what, I, I I just I mean and I'm not just talking about physical too I'm also talking about mental like the, the having to put yourself in the mindset of other people and or uh, you know a character or whatever you, you have have you it's just it to me I, I I do feel bad for actors sometimes but then I think about how much money that they are making and like okay I don't feel so bad for them but yeah I get exactly what you're saying uh and yeah, I think I think we covered it quite quite a bit at this point so uh you know I wanted to since we didn't get to have the the shows that we tried to have a couple times I just want to mm-hmm. go over I just want to go over real quick um two of the movies we we, we were going to talk about Cloverfield Paradox and uh when we first met they were both Netflix originals uh, Cloverfield Paradox had that strange uh, advertising, or you know, the the big the big thing about that was that it the the trailer for it came out during the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl trailer said, "Hey, the movie comes out as soon as the Super Bowl's over," on Netflix. Yep. Uh, I didn't get to watch it that night, but I did watch it later that week. I want to say that I actually enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it as much as I did Ten Cloverfield Lane, but I did enjoy it more than I did the original Cloverfield. So, hmm. what did you think of the movie? I mean, we and just you know, broad strokes. We don't need to get yeah. too depth depth in it. Um, I I didn't really enjoy it all that much. I I really don't think it was a movie they needed to do. Obviously, they did it to kind of try to create a reason as to why the other Cloverfield movies are anthologies and not direct sequels, and. I just think overall it it was very unnecessary. I don't think we needed that explained. I don't think we needed any of that, and I I just feel like it. Um, it's just I just felt like it's not a very good movie either. I think uh, I think the the I mean I think it you have to bring up the fact that J.J. Uh, Abrams and Bad Robot that they are not writing these movies. They are not; uh, these movies aren't being created with um, 
Cloverfield in mind that they are coming in after the fact and well, not, I'm not, and I'm saying I'm not saying after they've already filmed it, but like after it's already been written and they're throwing in the Cloverfield, you know, additions to make it part mm-hmm. of the anthology. And to me, that is quite odd, different, I guess is the way to put it. Um, I, I assume lots of scripts are changed after the fact, after they, after they're written, um, after they're sold so that it can fit a narrative. But I think the fact that they're adding in these Cloverfield monsters what, or what have you, so that it becomes part of the anthology is in the least interesting. Um, I'm not going to say good or bad. Maybe the execution, uh, especially for this movie is not great. Uh, I know that, or at least I think I remember how you felt about 10 Cloverfield Lane, that the, the ending of it is very much a sore thumb to the rest of the movie that it sticks out, you know, really bad is something that really doesn't feel like it should be there. And I don't, I want to say that though the execution isn't great, I do like the fact that they are not direct sequels in kind of an anthology or, you know, the fact that they, I guess, shared universe, all these uh, films. Now, should this have been a way of trying to create an origin for the Cloverfield franchise? No. No, I, I think that you would have been better off just sticking with the ambiguous, ambiguin, the ambiguous, yeah, uh, ambiguousness of of the origin of these monsters, and just kept it as a world where, hey, there's now monsters here, you know, just and these are how these these people are dealing with it in all these separate stories. You didn't, I think we could have went on for the next twenty years without knowing an origin. And people still would have been, you know, enjoying most of these movies. Well, and, and you know, to be fair, I, I'm totally fine with... So, essentially, from from what you're saying, and, and I believe what I understand of it as well, is they're finding these scripts that are not Cloverfield scripts, and then they're adding things to them to kind of make them a Cloverfield script. Now, from what I have read, and I, and I think this is the biggest problem with Cloverfield Paradox is that when they bought the rights to this movie, they started filming it, and they still weren't sure how to make it a Cloverfield movie. So they were already in full-fledged production filming the actual movie before they understood how it tied in and how they were going to tie it in. And I think that comes across. Whereas in 10 Cloverfield Lane, I feel like the end is over exaggerated i feel like there's a lot more subtlety that they could have had and left it a little bit um better taste in your in your mouth with the movie but i still think that movie's great but with paradox it totally feels like an afterthought like it definitely feels like somebody just took a script and then threw a couple of tiny minute scenes in it and slapped the cloverfield name on it just to try to make additional money from uh an ip that was already existing, you know? No. Uh, and yeah, I get that. I think literally, cause, uh, from the, what I understand the rumor is that the movie was called God, God particle, which makes a lot of sense because of the idea, the, the idea the movie posits is that, uh, this crew is on a, uh, space station in orbit around the earth. They have a Haldron collider out there, uh, on the space station that they're going to, turn on and try to 
essentially create a god particle so that there's a uh, unlimited power source on Earth. And when they when when they do this, they essentially bust a hole through space time, put themselves into another dimension, and uh, screw up the reality of that dimension as well as their own by doing this. Now, I really feel like what happens, what happened after the after Bad Robot buys the the script and the production, they literally just put uh, was it Control F God Particle and then copy paste uh, Cloverfield Paradox over that because like even the scene that Donald Logue is doing and uh, they keep he like in his interview the it, which feels very tacked on he is saying the the words God or not God Particle but Cloverfield Paradox over and over so much that it just it sounds ridiculous. Like it, it just sounds like nonsense at that point. So, yeah, it it, it absolutely does, and I I think it's also um, pretty crazy to think that within this same year, uh, it looks like we're actually getting another Cloverfield movie as well. Uh, a title that's workingly or working title is Cloverfield Overlord, which he mentions briefly in that same interview where he talks about demons. And the the reporter listening is like demons, and he's like, yeah, demons, because <laughs> the the rumor is is that um, Cloverfield Overlord is going to take place during World War II and deal with demonic forces. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's it, it definitely felt like an afterthought, and it it definitely felt like uh, that there was not an, as much effort put into it as as it needed to be in order to be. Uh, a true Cloverfield film, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, 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 I have also heard that about Overlord, and I think uh, I, I, you know, what? at this point, I'm just excited to see it, just to see which way it goes. I've also heard the rumor, and I don't know if you've heard this, but um, a Quiet Place, which you know stars John Krasinski and his wife Emily Blunt, is also a secret Cloverfield movie that uh, you'll find out during the movie. Now, if that's true that's going to be uh out there i know from hmm. i for one just from seeing the trailer am excited super excited about that movie so I, I can't wait to see it but uh yeah that's something that could happen i mean i suppose anything is possible but <laughs> yeah i would uh i would definitely be interested to see how that plays out i'm just excited for it be- since uh he is the writer director of it yes um, yeah so that's, am I. that's what i'm really excited for I I mean, I don't know. It is interesting, though. I mean, like, I can't imagine living in a world where, you know, if you pass gas, you could be dead. Or, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's so many interesting things behind that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just think about all the, you know, noises that you make just by not even thinking about it. And, I mean, that's something that could kill you. So you have to be, contr- like, to have control over something like that, it's just going to be completely bonkers like for me so i yeah. can't i can't wait to see it and, and it, it, to me it seems like they're doing the the classic horror movie thing of trying to hide what the monster looks like for for a good long while at least in the trailer so uh that's good hmm yeah i agree i i think trailers obviously we talk about this all the time but i think trailers have typically gotten to a point where they're just giving too much information away anyway so the fact that they're 
not doing that, I think, is great. So the other movie that we were going to talk about was When We First Met, and that's which is another uh, Netflix original, and this is starring Adam Devine and Alexandra Daddario. Did I say Adam Devine or Alex Devine? I said Adam, right? Okay. Um, I don't know, but it's Adam. Yeah, Adam Devine, uh, which you know most people know him from Workaholics, maybe the Pitch Perfect movies. But uh, I, I, this movie is... I was not expecting it to be uh, so heavily high, like science fiction. I guess I don't know. Like it's it's in the same vein as like uh, thirteen going on thirty or big big yeah or uh, what's those those ones where you know uh, a child and their parent changes places kind of thing. It's you you think uh, it's Freaky Friday? Yeah, like Freaky Friday. So you think that it's going to be just kind of a mystical thing, but then in, it's kind of a technological thing because he's he's using the the photo booth to travel back in time to the date when he met the girl that he thinks he's in love with, or he feels that he's in love with. I should say. What did you think of? The, I mean, what did you think of the movie overall? Um. I think it's a very middle of the road movie. I I wasn't like completely blown away by it, but it's also not horrible either. Um, it has elements of kind of Groundhog's Day as well, right? Like, yeah, it's kind of got that time loop thing going on. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, this is not a movie that if I had seen it in the theater and paid money for it, I don't think I'd be that happy about it. I think I'd be like, oh. Can't believe I just spent ten dollars on that. But <laughs> since it's already included in my Netflix subscription, and I didn't really spend anything on it, um, I definitely think that kind of helped my overall opinion of it. Uh, which, even though my opinion's still not that it was great, it's you know at least not. Hey, this movie's completely not worth your money at the theater. Yeah, no, I think that I think you're absolutely right. I think. Um... If I had to pay the ticket price and then, you know, find parking, spend the gas money, buy snacks and stuff like that, I might, I probably would have been a little bit more upset. But as is, you know, it's a nice little romantic comedy that I can sit on the couch, you know, with somebody and watch and, and maybe chuckle here or there. It, it did have me thinking a little bit. And that's what I like about time travel movies that they always get me to, to think about time paradoxes or the consequences of, of, traveling back in time and meddling with your own past those kind of things happen so that that definitely plays a big part in this movie and uh i like that and i'll say that it sounds like i might have liked it a little bit more than you but i think i'm still around the same area it's got it's it's got its funny parts it's got a nice a nice ending that kind of leaves it a little open to, to your interpretation of what happens and stuff like that so it's not horrible but it's not all it's also not great but I like the the fact that you brought uh, that you brought up the fact that you know uh, it's kind of a middle of the road movie because in the theaters we kind of don't see mid budget movies anymore. Uh, it's either big blockbusters or low budget movies, and not I'm not saying like low budget as in it looks low budget, but like they just didn't need to spend a lot of money on it or just managed not to spend a lot of money on it. We don't see a lot mm-hmm. of those anymore. We see 
we don't see a lot of mid-budget movies anymore. And I would assume this is kind of a mid-budget movie. Uh, do you feel like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon is the perfect place for those type of movies now? I don't. I don't want to say it's perfect place for it, right? Because uh, you know, a perfect. I guess a perfect example of of a small movie that ended up becoming remarkably large was. You know, um, uh, what's it? What's the name of the movie? Paranormal Activity. Okay. You know what I mean? And I and I feel like there is a lot of movies that are mid-budgeted movies that could go to the theater and be financially successful. But I think a movie like this, right? Because that's the thing. Like, I think if you were to screen this movie a lot of people would just be very like 50-50, right? Like it would just be like, eh, I could take it or leave it. And so I think when you start getting into movies like that, um, yes, I think Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, you know, VOD is probably the way to go. And I think, you know, I think to an extent, that's maybe why this got greenlit, right? Because I can't imagine them pitching this to a studio and a studio getting behind this, and being like, yeah, we're going to push this into the theater. Now, I do think that an A24, I feel, is a really good example of a production company that's doing this, is they are kind of seeking out that mid-budget film, but of, but of extremely high narrative quality, right? Right, right yes. Like they're putting out very, very strong films in a mid-budget range. This is a very mid-range movie with a mid-range budget, and I do think that at least, you know, that does kind of align it to be of a proper platform for, like, VOD directly. You know what I mean? Like, without a theatrical release or anything like that. And see, I think I, – I agree with you, too, but I think uh, we're coming at it two different directions. Uh I think I'm more coming at it as a from the the writer's perspective or even the director's perspective. It's like if these things Netflix, Hulu, Amazon didn't exist anymore or did, just didn't exist, I feel like there would be no place for these movies because of the big budget movies pushing them out of the theaters, studios only wanting to make either a a big budget blockbuster like, you know, Black Panther or a low budget blockbuster like uh happy death day or uh 10 cloverfield lane like i mean uh wasn't it famously 10 cloverfield lane only spent like five million dollars to make and they you know made uh, probably almost 100 million in the theater or something like that so uh there would be no place for movies like this which i think Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, VOD gives them uh, a home. Yeah, but I I feel like that's kind of always been somewhat of the situation, though. I mean, that's why we've had straight to video. You know what I mean? Like, even if you take away Amazon, Hulu, and of those streaming services, you know, this still could have been made as an independent movie. There's there's really nobody in the film that's that 
large of a star that would have required a huge budget. Right. Um, the story itself, there's not really any super heavy visual effects. So, I mean, like, this is a movie that they could have independently financed and made and went straight to DVD. You know what I mean? Even if those things didn't exist, like, we've always had... Right. Kind of like B movies and lower grade movies exist. So I don't think they would just stop existing. But I, I definitely think, don't think it would have got a theatrical release. But I think that what I think that in and I'm I'm I guess I'm dating us or whatever because we both worked at Blockbuster. There was a stigma to the movies that came out that were just on like straight to DVD. Like I don't think there's that stigma for any things that that are come out that that are uh, straight to Netflix or straight to Hulu. Like that, if it, if it says Hulu original or Netflix original, people are going to give it a chance. Like I don't think a lot of people would would have would would give straight to DVD movies a chance. Like I mean, look at all the Steven Seagal movies that you know went straight to DVD. People people didn't watch that shit. Well, I would I would have to argue a little bit there with you because the reality is is people are watching them or else they wouldn't continue to make them. You know what I mean? Like somebody's still making money off of it. They're maybe not making billions like what Marvel and some of these uh, super huge studios are doing, but you know, if you shoot a like if you could shoot that movie with Steven Seagal for a hundred thousand, and then redistributed it even straight to video across the globe, you're probably still going to net a couple million dollars at minimum. You know, so that's the thing is, even if you can make a, a kind of low grade movie, somebody's still making move or making money off those movies because if they weren't then we would never have these kind of low-budget, B-rated, independent films or micro-budget films that got made and, and actually released into the wild to the scale at which they are being released. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I do understand what you're saying, and I think that's an interesting conversation to have too, right? Is there is a certain, currently at least, there is a current expectation of quality when you hear Netflix original, but I think, I think that they're putting out so much original content now and they're going to continue to do that because they've, they've kind of backed themselves into a corner where they're now in a really bad situation because they need to produce an unbelievable amount of content remarkably quick that the quality of that content is sort of slipping. Um, because now I'm to the point where if I hear it's a Netflix original, I'm I'm a little bit more questioning, okay, well, what is it exactly? You know what I mean? Like I think we're starting to see this kind of trend where people are starting to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to watch every single Netflix original that's come out. For example, um, uh, you know, there's been kind of a, a run of them that have been like um, Hem- Hemlock Grove wasn't exactly great. Uh, Mute, which is a, a recent Netflix original movie, has been getting really, really bad reviews. Um, I'm sure there's probably a whole huge list of of films and television programming that Netflix is putting out that people are looking at and being like, yeah, I don't think this quite has the same quality that these other Netflix originals had. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. And I think that that is actually, I think it's actually too, no, I mean, not the exact way that you put it, but I think it is actually to Netflix's benefit uh, because they are putting out so many things because they know that not everything is going to be Stranger Things, right? It's not going to hit with everybody. And, I, and I, I imagine that not everybody loved Stranger Things, but a good majority of people did. So that's the anomaly. Now, if they put out five more new original programs, their opportunity to get, you know, 20% of the viewing population to like each one of those things or a different 20% to like one of these things is probably a good deal for them. So, yeah, maybe you and I didn't like Hemlock Grove, but one out of five did. That's something that they can hope for, right? Um now with yeah, I, I I kind of feel like what they're doing is they are making their own like something beyond network. They're making their own TV. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it because I can go on there and I can look for um, all the different science fiction TV shows that are original just to Netflix. You can go on there and you can look for all the different cooking documentaries and cooking shows that they have on there because they have a few of those. Uh, and then um, Sally down the street can go on there and find all the martial original martial arts, you know, kung fu movies that she loves to watch. That would be original to Netflix. It, and then we all come back together and we watch Stranger Things together because we everybody loves Stranger Things. I, I take back what I said earlier. No, I and I I agree with you and and what they're doing with their approach, but I do think when they first started though. Uh, there was a certain quality expectation to that name, and and I think they are slowly losing that because, like you said, they're they're not just casting out a few shows that they know are going to be home runs. Like they're casting a wider and wider net. Um, but in doing so, when you start having more and more and more content that isn't those top quality shows, that badge if you will that badge of being a netflix original and being directly marketed as that does lose some of its relevance right because it's the same thing like you look at somebody like hbo who arguably created exclusive programming to this to this level that it's happening in terms of quality at least right and and they have statistically i would say had less duds in a longer period of time than Netflix has in a shorter period, if that makes sense. So I and, and I and that's what I'm saying. I feel like when it first started, there was this this huge thing of like they were hitting this home run, home run, home run with these Netflix original properties, and now they're just casting such a wide net that it's become quality over or uh, quantity over the quality. And I think that there has been some loss to that kind of quote-unquote badge of honor of being a Netflix original program. But see, I also think that this is, it's also, well, let me collect my thoughts. I think it's also a a good thing that they're casting this wide net because they're they're not sitting here trying to speculate or uh, test, you know, test screen their audience, like to be like, oh, well, this is what they like this time, so they're going to like more of type a stuff 
this is them like going out and and getting more original content. I mean, this is what we're talking about when we say uh, Hollywood doesn't have any new ideas because all they do is make sequels and reboots and and new adaptations. Well, now they're making uh, Netflix is making new stuff. Like they have new ideas, they have new IP and stuff like that. So, I I I I respect them for casting such a wide net and trying to see what sticks to the wall because trying to put, just put their audience into one category and say, well, if they like Stranger Things, they're only gonna like Stranger Things. No, well, no, you know they they're gonna like a a whole bunch of other stuff. Like if I want to watch. Fuller House, which I mean, bear in mind is a reboot sequel, whatever you want to call it, you know, then don't say that I'm not going to like it. You know what I mean? No, I do. And I'm I'm not trying to say what they're doing is inherently bad. I'm just saying that they're it's being less devaluing that that strategy of marketing it as a Netflix original, you can no longer say, Oh, it's a Netflix original. It must be good. Right. Now you're having to say, Oh, it's a Netflix original, but is it for me? Right. You see what I'm saying? And and that's, that's the thing behind it is they're losing that market foothold of being able to say, well, this is a Netflix original. You know, it's good. I, I, I do. I get what you're saying. And I, I just think that more often than not, or at least still, I still think to this point, people will remember Netflix originals, the ones that they like before they remember the ones that they don't like. Like, it's like, it's like when you see a a preview for a new movie and they say from the director that gave you the fifth element and Leon, the professional, like, all right, you pick the two movies that, you know, he, he made that were great. What about the, you know, the other three movies that weren't great, but we don't, we don't always remember that, or at least the general audience doesn't. No, I mean, but to be fair, they might, you know, to be fair, they might only remember those bad ones. So when you do put that out there and say, oh, from the director of The Fifth Element, they might be going, well, what's that? You know what I mean? But if they're like, oh, the, you know, from the guy who brought you, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a really crappy movie right now. Um, <laughs> gosh, I don't know. What's the worst Dumb and Dumber 2? Dumb and Dumber 2? There you go. So if it was like from the director of, of Dumb and Dumber 2, you might be like, Oh, you know, I watched that movie and I, I, I really didn't like it. I don't think I want to go watch that now. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if if you're marketing this Netflix original thing and you're putting that on your product as a as a badge of quality, but then you're casting such a wide net that's not really specific anymore, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, oh, well, I want to watch that because it's a Netflix original. And then they're going to watch it and be like, yeah, you know, this really isn't for me. So it's it's the same thing. Like if you have someone who's made six or seven bad movies back to back to back and then all of a sudden, like M. Night Shyamalan, right? Like they they could not even put his name on his movies for a while. And that's why. You know what I mean? Like and I'm just saying like that's something that. I think Netflix is walking that path by still trying to market everything through saying it's a quality Netflix original show. Okay. I I I think I think we're both on the the same track. We just happen to walk on either side. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh and you talked about it a second ago. I want this is the last movie or the last Netflix original I want to talk about. I know you have a Netflix original you want to talk about, but I want to talk about Mute. 
the newest movie from Duncan Jones, uh, the director of Source Code and uh, Moon, which are two movies that I really enjoyed. I left out Warcraft. Uh, I I saw that movie. I thought it was okay. I didn't. I don't. But I never played Warcraft or World of Warcraft, so I had nothing to base it off of. I just thought, yeah, it's it's a it's a thing. So mute though. Mute is very much in the vein of Blade Runner, you know, kind of uh, noir detective story. Follows around uh, a, the character Leo, who is a mute uh, bartender Amish gentleman. Uh, I don't believe I don't believe he's Amish anymore. Obviously, he must have had his rumspringa and decided not to go back to the community. Um. <laughs> But he still is very much uh, not in the uh, – or he still very much doesn't use technology the way that you and I use technology. Now, this movie it does take place in the near future, uh, so there is much higher advances in technology. Uh, the other star of the movie is Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd plays a – Special Forces soldier who also was trained as the team's medic who is on who is a wall at the moment in Berlin. The whole movie takes place in Berlin. And uh, he and his friend who is played by Justin Thoreau have a back alley um medical practice. Essentially, you know, mob guys come to them to get fixed up for bullet wounds. Uh, and in this near future scenario, bullet wounds are not nearly as fatal as they are in our modern times. So I want to say that for me now, th- now you, you, you hit on this earlier. Uh, this movie is being critically panned. Like nobody's liking this movie. And uh, uh, honestly, I think uh, audiences are, are just about 50, 50 on it. You know, you, a lot of people are hating it. Some people are okay with it. But um, I would say that I fall more on the... It was good. It was a movie that I saw at home. I didn't have to go... If I went to the theater, I probably would have been a little bit more upset. But I still thought it was a decent movie. Paul Rudd, however, on the other hand, steals this movie for me. I think it was a detriment to make Alexander Skarsgård a mute uh, in the movie. Just because he doesn't do enough body-wise or character-wise to get me to be involved with his character, to care about his journey. Paul Rudd, very much on the other hand, I understand where he's coming from. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, you're not supposed to be rooting i guess is the best way to put it for paul rudd's character but (laughs) i definitely say that i enjoyed his character more than i did uh alexander skarsgård so a lot i mean there's a lot happening in this movie and i i have to say that i i want to give uh you know uh, a round of applause to duncan jones for making this movie, getting it out there, you know, this is uh, so apparently it was some kind of passion project for him. It, you know, he had it written way before he had anything for source code or or moon and he's now at the point in his career where he he was able to get it made and 
that's awesome. You know, anybody that's ever written something, made something, created something and wanted others to see it and just didn't have the means to do so. I, you would, I would imagine you would know that feeling when you finally get to, you know, have others see it and, and whether or not critique it, uh, is another story altogether, but I see what he was trying to do. And I see that, I think that he accomplished what he wanted to make. I think that maybe other people didn't like it, but he's probably extremely happy with it. And I don't blame him. So here's the, I, I haven't seen this, so I don't know. So I cannot speak to, um, you know, my personal opinions of the movie, but I will say the thing that is fascinating is like you said, um, the reviews. So I just looked this up while you were talking. IMDb has uh, a rating of 5.4 out of 10. Mm -hmm. So that's basically just slightly over the middle. It's about 52, 53% maybe, right? Yeah, yeah, Um, it's about 54%. That's what 5.4. There you go. So, but out of. And I I just want to say that that's obvious. IMDb is is used by uh, regular people. It's not, I mean, it's both critics, reviewers, and general audiences so that would be a general audience score so it it has thirteen thousand seven hundred fifty six reviews to bring it to that rating right metacritic 35 percent but now that's based mostly off of actual critics correct then you get to rotten tomatoes Uh uh-huh Audience score fifty two percent, which again right would be there. a better baseline for the average film goer because that's the average film goer reviewing it. Right. Um, but then you get to the critical review, thirteen percent. Thirteen percent. See, thirteen percent. Look, uh, one thing I, I don't like is when people say, "Well, I'm not a critic," you know, or "I'm not a reviewer." It's like, well, if you have an opinion, then you're a reviewer. You just might not have a publication, a forum, a platform, wherever. But as soon as to to put it out, but as soon as you say it on social media, guess what? You're now a critic. You're now uh, a reviewer. I just think that it's uh, unfortunate. It's unfortunate that it's such a low score because the, uh, I it, I don't think it's really a good reflection of what what is actually happening in this movie i think a lot of times people have a hard time accepting new ideas especially when it comes to uh genres of movies that are so cemented in our society pop culture mythos uh this like i said this is very much a blade runner type movie and if you already have blade runner out there People were expecting to see more more Blade Runner, and this kind of goes a different direction. It it definitely has uh, a different feel. It has uh, a different uh, gravitas to it, and I mean, it it doesn't have it obviously doesn't it doesn't have nearly as much production as Blade Runner twenty forty nine does. But I would say that it it's right up there with the original Blade Runner from nineteen eighty two. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I just feel like 
maybe people were expecting a certain thing because of source code and moon. And in though I do want to say that, uh, not Ryan Johnson, Duncan Jones throws in uh, some moon Easter eggs as, as in that uh, very much. So the characters that exist in moon and you know, there's only one character in moon uh, exist in this movie. It's, it does make it, I don't know. To me, it makes it that much more interesting. Hmm. I mean, I'm definitely going to have to watch it because I've like, uh, not just in talking to you, but uh, talking to a number of other people, I've heard a lot of very mixed uh, reviews. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely curious to actually sit down and watch it. I, I would love, I would love to hear what you think, think of the movie. And, and like, I, I think we've said uh, several times on this podcast, you know, the two of us do kind of approach movies at two different directions now. Um, you you definitely yeah. uh, are more versatile and uh, knowledgeable in the production side of movies and how movies are made and and uh, directing styles and cinematography styles and stuff like that. I, I only have more character and writing that I, I look for in movies. Uh, I know you look for that stuff too, but you obviously have the more of the knowledge of the production side so uh i i would love to hear what you think yeah uh and like i said you know any i think anytime you have a movie that's super polarized um i think it's fascinating to watch it you know because it's kind of the same way that i felt when i watched uh recently too i watched red sparrow like mm-hmm. i remember sitting there watching the movie and i was like okay like this is a very middle-of-the-road type of experience that I'm having, but this is an experience that a lot, a lot, a lot of regular film-going audience is not going to like. And um, I don't know. It's always it's always just interesting to experience something after you've... You know, because the other side of the coin is, is that now my expectations for this might have been so drastically lowered that I'm, like, expecting this horrible movie, and then I watch it, and I'm like, oh, that was that was okay. You know what I mean? Like, because it's the same thing. You can have a movie that gets overhyped to the point that you, like, go in, and it just can never live up to your expectations. But if, like, my expectations have the crap beat out of them, and then I watch it, you know, am I going to have a better experience with the movie? And, I, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I totally get that, and... It is, and and maybe the underhype is what actually made me okay with this movie because I had already heard from so many people that, or from so many people in so many reviews that it was just, it sounded like it was just complete garbage, and I was like, this isn't garbage. I've seen worse movies than this, so uh, maybe I was a little bit lighter on it because I I was underhyped, you know, the opposite. And I want to say that I did hear your your review of Red Sparrow on uh, your other podcast. And I, I know at the time that when I saw the trailers and when it came out, I wanted to go see it in the theater and I just never made it. But listening to what you had to say is like, yeah, I probably would not have liked that movie. I'm glad I didn't go see it. Yeah, it it definitely was, was mismarketed in my opinion. And I think... I think that hurt the film a lot, actually, because I really do think that the movie's marketed as kind of an action slash somewhat of a thriller. Um, and you kind of get this expectation that you're potentially getting another James Bond or Mission Impossible movie. And, and those movies really glamorize the spy lifestyle. 
And this movie does not. This movie shows you that being a spy is awful and it's miserable and you're going to get the crap beat out of you and it is just not glamorous in any way, shape, or form. And then, you know, to be fair, like you said, I think when you get to a certain point of, like, watching tons of movies and, you know, studying I – don't, I don't even think you have to study film. I just think when you are a huge film uh, fanatic or a film buff or, or movie nerd, whatever you want to call it, that you start really looking at movies and you're like, yeah, I already know where this movie's going – and so when you have a movie that's trying to be kind of this twist and turn thing and you have it figured out in the first act, it, it lessens your enjoyment. And I, there's no doubt on my mind that you watching that movie wouldn't have been like, oh, here's X, Y, Z, and this is everything that's going to happen. And, you know, it, that big reveal that your general public that don't watch a lot of movies get that oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. Uh, shock factor, but the rest of, of people are going to be like, yeah, I mean, I saw that coming a mile away. Yeah, and you know, that's I, I, I hear this a lot too in a lot of the podcasts that I, I listen to. And then just in, in with the general public, I guess is the best way to put it, you know, people mm-hmm. who aren't movie reviewers are at least not on a um, uh, consistent platform basis yeah basis mm-hmm. um you know they always say things like i don't understand why uh the critic didn't like this you know i don't understand why you people are so harsh i don't understand why uh you know our movie preferences def- defer so much and it's like and i i don't want to put myself in 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 you know the same shoes as other great movie reviewers movie critics but we do see movies so much that you see the same things over and over. And that's why you become Mm -hmm. so critical. That's why you become, uh, with lack of a better word, jaded. You're like, well, I mean, I've already seen this. I've seen this in three other movies this year alone, you know, kind of thing. Or, uh, this is, you know, it's just, it's not doing anything different that warrants me to say that this is a good movie. And, I think sure. I think not enough of the general audience takes that into a into account when they are taking in reviews as a uh, viable resource for what movies they want to go watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I do. I, well, I mean, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, you know, I. I think it's a little bit like anything, right? And I mean, like, if you look at chefs, for example, or or food, right? We all eat a lot of food. We all know what our taste in food is. But not all of us can walk into a restaurant and taste food the same way that a critic tastes food or that a chef tastes that food. You know what I mean? Like there's there's just so many different factors that go into it. And as you acquire more and more knowledge about film and the filmmaking process, like your tastes start to change. And I would imagine that's the same thing. Like if you had somebody who's a home cook and they go to culinary school, like their mind and the things that they learn are going to be different. And then, of course, when that person transitions into, you know, 
mentoring under a world-renowned chef, their palate is, again, going to change. And that's the thing you have to understand about a critic is a lot of people that are professional critics have put a lot of time into uh, learning about film in terms of story structure, you know, the filmmaking process. Like, they have a little bit more knowledge than just your basic film goer and that's why i always tell people like if you're going to follow a critic or listen to what a critic says it needs to be a critic that you read or watch their content or or consume their content in any way often and that their tastes are similar to yours because it's like if i went and reviewed a restaurant that only serves fish I'm not going to rate that restaurant very highly because I don't necessarily care for fish. Whereas like someone else who's an absolute fanatic for that is going to review it differently. And I think that that's true of of art in a lot of ways also is you need to find a critic or a reviewer who has a similar taste to you and then consume and take their content in and say, okay, well... Maybe I'm going to skip this one, but I'll watch it on video or whatever. You know, I think that gives you a little bit better platform to decide if you should really be listening to that critic. And if you are truly going to potentially identify with why they're being critical of it or rather the way they're being critical of it. I I think you're absolutely right. And that's what I was going to bring up earlier is that uh, you've kind of always spouted that – mantra (laughs) i i I don't know why words are missing for me right now but uh that that's you know what's that's what you want to do uh when when picking if you feel that you the need to go and seek out a a reviewer find someone that usually agrees with you or you agree with so uh last thing we should talk about is that you also saw a netflix original that's very different and i've heard about it i haven't watched it myself but i have heard about it from other sources uh this social experiment go ahead and talk about was it darren brown's the push yeah well before i do uh before i dig into this since you've you've heard other people talk about it and we're kind of talking about you know critics and stuff what have you heard i'm just curious so i actually have heard that and this is from uh one source <laughs> and it's people that I I would say that I take their opinion pretty good. Uh, I would I, I would agree with them probably about fifty percent. Well, one of them I, I agree with them about fifty percent of the time. The other one I agree with uh, probably closer to ninety percent of the time. They both said it was kind of a it was it was very much a bad thing. It was I don't want to say a garbage fire, but it was. It was. Oh my god! It was vile. Is is kind of the word that they were using? Like it just hmm. it left such a bad taste in their mouth, and uh, it it was not something that they came out enjoying in the end. And I I think that is the entire purpose of this experiment. Um, to be very honest with you, so the fact that that happened, I think, is good. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's Um, the result that Darren Brown was looking for is what you're saying. Right. So Darren Brown is, uh, from my understanding, a British-based or a British uh, mentalist. Now, a mentalist is essentially 
a magician that focuses on kind of manipulating people through understanding the mental process and psychology and 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 all that sorts of stuff, right? Right. Yeah. So this isn't the person that does like your typical, oh, we're going to solve this woman in half type of, of presentation. It's more about manipulating people and kind of uh, making them even in some situations believe that you're reading their mind because you're just kind of trained and hyper acute to focus on like psychologies and specific behaviors. And so uh, Darren Brown developed this idea based around a social survival um, part of psychology called uh, civil obedience, basically. And the thought process behind this is, is that we as an individual will conform naturally to a group in order to better our survival odds. And so he poses the question in this, in this kind of... <sighs> I don't want to call it a documentary, but it kind of is. It's kind of a reality TV documentary, um, and I'll circle back to that in just a moment. But he he comes up with this idea of through utilizing to an extreme uh, social obedience, can you take a normal human being and push them to commit murder by pushing someone off the roof of a building? So that's where the whole uh, push title comes from. Right. Now, I don't obviously know how realistic any of this is. It's it's definitely has the feeling to a certain degree of is it as re- is it real or is it as real as reality TV? Obviously, I think in some instances to elevate and heighten the drama and tension, there probably is there. There's probably a little bit of things that are happening in this that are closer to what you would get out of a reality TV show, which anyone who's worked on a reality TV show or been around them uh, from a production standpoint knows that they are not realistic really at all. Um, they usually have tons of writers and they usually have horrible um, editing and producing techniques to kind of get these responses. But um, but anyway, it's it's a fairly short uh, film. It's only about 70 minutes. And he what he does is he comes up with this idea of we're going to create a event. It's this uh, charity event for a new charity that's trying to start establishing itself and we're going to bring this this individual in and we're going to run him through so he's the only one uh that's not quote unquote an actor in this is the the person that they're running the experiment on everyone else involved is an actor and they're all kind of connected back to Darren Brown via earpieces and microphones and there's times where he's guiding them and telling them what to do and there's all these little uh different scenarios that he's created in a sequential order to basically start building you into giving up more and more of yourself into this social obedience type thing and uh i I don't want to say a lot about it i don't want to ruin it a lot but uh you know it goes through the whole thing and basically he tells you at the end of it, like, you know, 
this is something that naturally exists within all of us. And I made this show to kind of open people's eyes to the fact that this is a thing that's happening. And it doesn't just have to happen to the level of murder. It can happen to the level, the level of bullying or, you know, whatever else. And yeah, that's what more... I was about. Oh, I'm Go sorry. Ahead. I was just going to say that's essentially, I mean, what I was about to say is that's essentially what bullying is. Cyberbullying is essentially the same thing, peer pressure and stuff like that. So uh, it's it's good that you brought that up. Sorry, didn't mean yeah. to cut you off, though. No, 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 not at all. But but like that's kind of like what he structured this whole thing was to kind of make people aware of this and of the situation so that you can be more mindful of yourself and kind of like what you're doing. Um, I would definitely say it's worth a watch. Um, it probably is going to make most people a little uncomfortable, especially if you are of the mindset that this is 100% all real, which I still question how much of this is real or isn't real. But even if it's not, like, even if they've taken it to somewhat of an extreme to kind of illustrate a point, I think they illustrate that point very, very well. Um, and I think it's a it's a very quick watch, but I, I definitely think it is something that people should take the time to sit down and watch um, because I, I definitely think it's going to have you kind of thinking about situations differently or at least kind of hopefully open your eyes to that type of situation. I I would hope so. And it sounds like that would probably be the greatest takeaway from the show, from what I've heard from you and, and the other people that I had talked or not talked to, but listened to talk about this, uh, that it would open more people's eyes to how they can be easily manipulated. Um, through situations and stuff like that to either think a certain way or act a certain way. And I mean, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't nah, I just won't say it because th- this isn't that podcast. So, uh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. I already said that part. So I might as well just say, I, I just feel like, you know, if people were able to see how they are manipulated by their elected officials or people who want to be elected, uh, they would, understand better you know what is being done to them and this hopefully could open up people's eyes to that that's the only yeah. good takeaway i would say from then and, and I, the, the other persons that i heard talk about this they also too were skeptical whether or not the whole thing was a ruse was it all scripted you know what what was real what wasn't real kind of thing mm-hmm so I th- I did hear about it and I, I, I did want to check it out. I just hadn't gotten around to it yet, but uh, I'm I'm glad to hear what you had to say. And I mean, I kind of I, I like I said, I already spoiled myself. I know how the ending happens or what happens in the end. So uh, that part, I guess, is not going to be that big a deal to me. But I am more interested now to see uh, what it is that um is used to manipulate subject, the subject. And I know one mm-hmm. of them is uh, there's a video that's playing on in the background during the charity event where it has a bunch of, of celebrities like actually doing sp- like spokesman parts, uh, spokesperson parts where the charity is called push as well. So these mm-hmm. are all things that are playing in the background. That's the subject doesn't know, doesn't maybe doesn't uh, recognize, but it's still working towards it. Uh, his subconscious to 
maybe push him in the right direction, you know, so to speak. Right. So that I I do find that interesting. Yeah, I definitely think you should check it out. I would be I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it after you watch it. Uh, yeah, I will. I, I would definitely have to get back to that. So I think uh, that's a good place to put it. We've talked about quite a bit of the Netflix originals this evening, and uh, I, I mean, you kind of have to at this point, right? These are this is a part of our our culture now. This is a thing. Yeah. People know what Netflix is. People know what net, you know Netflix streaming when you're describing Disney's new subscription, you know, uh, channel that's going to be coming out here pretty soon. Everybody talks about Netflix first. You say, Oh, you know, like Netflix has kind of thing. So, uh, whether it's good or bad, they have shaped our history at this point. So, yes, if anybody else has, uh, some thing they'd like to add to what we've talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Richard's also on Twitter as, at Ry Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Uh, Richard can also be found on his Twitch streaming channel. If you want to go ahead and give that out. Yeah, just head on over to twitch.tv slash Cohen one R-I-C-O-W-N, and the number one... It's a great time over there. We're streaming Mass Effect Andromeda, and uh, I've been streaming uh, on Wednesdays as well, so I kind of added that, and it's been working out fairly well. We've been playing through Hellblade, so yeah, it's always a good time, though. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely go over there, check him out, you know, uh, subscribe to his channel, and make sure that you give him some input while he's playing, because that's what the whole point of Twitch is. Interact with the player. At least that's how I feel. No, yeah, you're right. It's all about the community and having conversations, whether it's about the video game or anything else that might come up while we're while we're hanging out playing video games. So also make sure to check out our webpage, geekeliteradio.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programs.